Shut your eyes. Stop your ears. Your senses cannot be trusted. Is this the world you know? Is everything as it should be? Or are secrets whispered just beyond your hearing? Are unspeakable horrors crouched just around every corner? No, of course not. And yet, you might venture for the briefest of moments outside this fragile cage of your perceptions to glimpse something beyond your expectations now at the unseen hour. We begin our story as one Rufus Strideforth, Clark, fourth class, neatly packaged in Harris Tweed, barrels his way through the labyrinthine corridors of the Office for the Obtainment, Examination, and Entombment of Out of the Ordinary Objects, or Ooiu, <laughs> bound for an appraisal of his performance at the much maligned Loans Department. such ample shoulders. Uh, Let me help you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Damn these manly shoulders. Might I say, you're looking lovely this morning, Miss Perch. My goodness, but that's quite against the guidelines. Ah, yes, the, the guidelines. Let, let's see. Uh, you are behaving in a professional manner. Oh, stop, Mr. Strideforth. You're such a flirt. Go along and see Administrators Kent and Yakchek. They're waiting. Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. If you, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Clark uh, 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 uh. Strideforth, you are late. You'll report immediately. Here it is. I see you take pride in your presentation. I respect that. For what do we even have a loans department? This is an office for the obtainment, examination, entombment, and of out-of-the-ordinary objects. Wee-oo. Not a lending library. Information must be carefully controlled and hidden away. Take it easy, Miss Yagchek. We can't go changing the way things are. The way things are is the foundation of order. Aha! Look here, Strideforth. You have an item overdue. She's right. A book, the Helianomicon, out on loan to an Albert Grick, high priest of the terrible cult of Sol Indiges, due for a turn 15 minutes ago. What do you have to say for yourself? Golly, I suppose I could go and have a poke around. Are you as much of an imbecile as you are a human being? Which is to say an enormous one. <laughs> the terrible cult of Sol Indiges is one of the most vicious, despicable, disorganized, deadly groups of cutthroats, doomed zealots, known to man. Beware, Achtung! 
Warning, beware! Do not by any means approach them. They will strip your skin off your bones and burn it into a crisp. I'd guess they could light and heat their entire church for a year on the skin of your expansive forehead alone. This is a serious overstrike, Strideforth. There will be consequences, reprimands, severe reprimands. Hand over your badge and rubber stamps. Oh, no! Uh, is that the time? I must... Company watch, hand it over. Oh, no! Well, I should probably toddle along. Company shoes! Oh, no! I'll keep my mouth shut. Company teeth! Damn! There will be further reprimands as soon as we have consulted the advanced guidelines. Wait here, dimwit! Oh no! Badgerless, watchless, bootless and toothless! What will become of me? Mr. Strideforth, are you all right? Oh, Miss Perch, I am! I have never been better. Now that you are here, I feel I could do anything. But Mr. Strideforth, the guidelines... The guidelines be damned! They have taken my badge! It seems they have also removed your teeth, rendering you slightly less handsome. But nevertheless, do go on. I will retrieve this overdue book, this Helionomicon, from the hands of the hideous dash cult of Shaolin Dejas. If you will only say you feel for me as I feel for you, I know I can do anything. Oh, Mr. Strideforth, I do! I do! And look, Secretary Kent has left behind his warrant and identification, the documents that convey the excessive and devastating power of the administrators of the Office for the Obtainment, Examination and Entombment of Out-of-the-Ordinary Objects. I will steal this identification and warrant and use its excessive and devastating powers to achieve my ambitious ends. Let's go at once, Miss Perch. Wait! Before we go, with my newfound freedom, I will satisfy my curiosity by eavesdropping at the door of one of these top secret bureau interview rooms. Let us listen. Call me Icarus. Female pilot flies passenger plane directly into the sun. He read the headline twice, even though it was in large, bold print. It was very much the type of headline he expected to see at a checkout counter, plastered across the cover of the weekly world news. And yet the fabrication was so outlandish, it seemed to go too far for this time-honoured bastion of fake news, or whatever it is being called these days. Compared to the present climate of fake news, he thought, the World Weekly News, with its ongoing saga of Bat Boy being shipped from one town to the next, was very quaint, actually. Extremely innocent. George W. to Internet's Donald Lump. But this headline, an entire airplane, as a nervous flyer, it spoke to him. Even the fiction of it was terrifying, but thrilling. He tried to picture the female pilot revving up to go up in history, but instead he could only picture Andrea the woman he'd been texting since last Sunday, the woman he had met on the tube. In his mind's eye, Andrea was wearing a hat. 
a hat a bit like the one he saw an actress playing Amelia Earhart wearing in a musical someone once took him to. He pictured Andrea really pulling off that hat as only a woman with her bone structure could, looking up into the sun, beautifully blinded as if by the divine itself, in that last fateful moment as she swooped the controls upwards towards the light. Flicking his eye between the cover of Vogue, featuring Michelle Williams, a Daily Mail headline no less ridiculous than Mrs. Icarus, and The Guardian, he thought, impulse buy, why the fuck not? He threw the weekly world news onto the moving black rubber tabletop next to the packet of skips and peppermint tea. The headline had a kind of poetry about it. Perhaps he could put it on a greeting card for her someday, maybe for her birthday or a graduation, and she'd smile and say, Mrs. Icarus, are you proposing marriage or are you just suggesting we book flights for a weekend away? To which he'd casually reply, oh, I saw it ages ago, made me think of you. I barely knew you back then. And together they would have the kind of intimate, comforting chuckle that could only exist between two people who are well used to sleepy Sunday sex and to exciting Friday sex and to conciliatory Monday sex too. Not just the sex though, it would be the fact that the sex was so reliable that it was no longer the pinnacle of their relationship. The pinnacle of their relationship would be going to Ikea together and buying furniture. He longed to take a long bus ride home with her, each of them holding on to the side of an enormous cardboard box containing shelves. As he placed the World Weekly News down on the belt, the checkout girl mumbled something about contactless. He almost automatically pulled out the card and placed it on the reader, not even glancing at the total. More dangerous, but also more convenient, he thought. That's the trade-off for blind trust. He thought to himself that that was a sentence he could say out loud to Andrea, that she might be impressed by. More dangerous, but more convenient. That's the trade-off for blind trust. That was the kind of sentence that would need to come a few months before the greeting card with the Mrs. Icarus headline, but certainly after the third date. He imagined it would make Andrea grimace, and then it would make her smile. That smile where one of her teeth was so fetchingly chipped. His phone buzzed and he checked it while negotiating the skips, peppermint tea and tabloid newspaper into his backpack. Even as he placed the skips next to the tea, he told himself he should really throw them out. They were a terrible habit he'd acquired at his aunt's place in Leeds, Christmas of 1998, and that he had never quite managed to stop. The text was from Andrea. Andrea from that quick meeting on the tube. In this age of Tinder, literally anything analog seemed romantic. I'm in your area. Coffee? He stared down at the text, unblinking. It was so direct. He could barely believe it. 
Did she really want to meet so abruptly, after they had been sending each other such consciously crafted, witty, yet non-committal texts for a week? <laughs> Was she really so flagrantly moving things to the next level? Her boldness impressed him. He thought of Amelia Earhart. <laughs> he looked around the Tesco, desperate to find a response. He texted her back. Costa coffee in the Tesco, question mark. Then immediately regretted it. <laughs> Had he really just asked Andrea, his future future, to meet him in a Tesco? What the fuck was wrong with him? He even considered texting her back, but then thought of those three little dots on the screen might show weakness, and he thought better of it. And yet... Her three little dots appeared and began their magical dance of fright, that continuously renewing ellipses, like their futures had a heartbeat and that this was the monitor, ensuring him that their relationship was just about still alive. She texted back, Yep. Which ruined him. He walked over to the Costa and ordered a flat white, feeling so horribly pretentious for that order, and yet half-arsed in his pretension as he spoke those coffee elite words aloud in a chain coffee shop. He wondered if he should have waited for her to arrive before daring to make the order. Call me Mrs Icarus. Female pilot flies passenger airplane directly into the sun, she read aloud. This newspaper is ridiculous. Look at the date on this. Isn't this ten years old? He admitted that yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> Did he remember the circumstances under which he'd bought it? No. No, he didn't. There just seemed to be something romantic, maybe poetic, about the headline. Had he ever read it? No. But suddenly he pictured Amelia Earhart, without being sure why. He remembered an awkward coffee date years ago with a woman. Her name was lost on him now. Had she been a pilot? Dressed as like a pilot? Was that it? Who had said the wrong thing? Was it that she had told him that she'd written a poem about him? A short story, a monologue for a radio program? He remembered that whatever it was she'd said, it had left a bad taste in his mouth. Like he was someone else's creation. Like suddenly his inner monologue belonged to her. Was spoken in her voice. In fact, he thought, he was hearing her voice again now narrating his thoughts, even as he remembered her, like he didn't have his own body. This madness had returned, he realised, even if he hadn't seen this woman since that coffee date at Costa, ten years earlier. This madness of feeling like he was being seen, described, imagined by somebody else. His sister folded the tabloid up and said, I'm throwing it out. You don't need this. And he didn't. Of course he didn't. His sister was decluttering for him, claiming it would make him feel better. But he didn't even really need that. That bit of generosity. 
did he? But maybe that wasn't the point, he thought. Needing people wasn't the point. Perhaps it would have been worth being blinded. It would have been worth it just to touch the most banal, the most divine, the thing that would surely have destroyed him. The side of a cardboard box with shells from Ikea nestled inside. He snatched the newspaper back from his sister's hands and said, I don't want to throw that out. And as he spoke, his voice was still not his own. The feeling was glorious if short-lived. I demand to be admitted! That terrible cult of solid DJs has crossed the wrong club, fourth class. Oh, it's not that. What's all the elbow? I will break this door down if I have to. Where is this high priest of the terrible cult of solid DJs? I have come for you, Albert Grick! No need to yell the house down. Come in, will ya? Where is he? Where are they? Where is it? Call the what now? I've never heard of it. I'm afraid it's going to be a disappointment, dearie. What about... Sorry. What about that door there? That's the, uh... Kitchen? Damn, I imagine he's telling the truth. This is a dead end. Oh, failure! Oh, all my ambition! All my hopes and dreams come to naught! What are we going to do now, darling? Labour exchange? <laughs> Pub? Trying to sneak into the church, are we? Who said that? I see no one but this mangy-looking goat. Yep, that's me, hello! I know, I know, talking goat. That's what happens when the terrible cult of solemn digits attempts a ritual sacrifice without the planets in their proper alignment. Previously a human man, now transmigrated into the body of this goat. Just a bit about me there, in case you were wondering. Did you say the terrible cult of solemn digits? Yes, I did. I will say it again if you like. That will not be necessary. <laughs> Is it here? Yes, you were cleverly misled by that pair of barely animated cadavers into believing that it was not. But the truth is that that is supposed kitchen door is in fact the immense oaken and iron-girded church door of the terrible cult itself. But how in the world will we get inside? I have discovered, in my short time as a small goat, the useful misdirectional properties as well as the deep, deep pleasure of chewing upon items that upon which one is not ought to have chew upon. <laughs> I had noticed the distress you are putting upon my shirt cuffs. Had they not been of the sturdiest tweeds, I am sure they would have been utterly destroyed by this time. Now I will direct my attentions towards this decrepit duo who guard this incongruously large door.
Some of these ex-council places are quite spacious, aren't they? Quiet. Look there. Hold this between your cheeks. Lie perfectly still and we'll simmer you for another 20 minutes. Okay, you're the boss. Halt! What you are doing? If I am not mistaken, you are High Priest Albert Creek. And that in your hand is the dreaded Helionomicon, a book of inestimable power, which it is my duty to inform you is overdue. Featherstone, you fool. Did you forget to renew the loan? It's just a tossing book. I knew that you would be our undoing. What a fool I was to take you as my acolyte. I had the pick of the orphanage and I chose you. Come on now, that's not very fair. I will deal with you later. For now, it seems that our guest, in their sneaking approach, have strayed to lek directly beneath the large and inadequately secured chandelier <laughs> with a swift slice of this sacrificial blade. Hopelessly trapped, I'm afraid. Entirely at the mercy of High Priest Albert Greek of the terrible cult of Saline DJs, and I, High Priest Albert Greek of the terrible cult of Saline DJs, have no mercy. Twice in one sentence. You are utterly defenseless, stride forth. And now you will meet your fate. As I bind you both hand and foot, I will permit you one last request. I would like a bowl of whatever that is that you have on the stone. Featherstone, bring our guest a steaming hot bowl of singer-songwriter <laughs> Cat Flint. Coming right up! I was overwhelmed, I was part of the crowd I was struck down, down, down to the water we go We move like a beast of many bones We are born in the hands and out in the water so cold We are diving for pearls and for gold I'm fine, I'm the last in line I can see how the others, they float Face down, down to the turbulent fish below oh, oh, Diving for dust and empty shells And the ghosts of ships smashed and ground up into sand We will never get rich if this is the plan Here is a brave new beginning, I'll leave my name on the shore Oh, carved down into the dirt And I hope I return as a bird Diving for dust and empty shells And the ghosts of ships smashed and ground up into sand 
and whispered the terrible genius and power of the Helionomicon. During that charming musical interlude, I have secured you both to this altar according to its instructions. Meanwhile, with measurements from the book, my minion Featherstone has positioned the Noonstone, a powerful mystical artifact on a pole of a very specific length. Give or take. As the great flame reaches its midday zenith, its superlative power will be focused into an insinuating point. Layer upon layer of otherwise impenetrable tweed will be vaporized in mere seconds, and your doughy flesh beneath will ignite in a glorious offering to the ancient god de Sol, first and greatest creator of life and the end of all things. You're mad, Crick. Now it's all in the book. Hold up if you read the whole thing. And with the ample sacrifice of your considerable body mass, great soul will descend and spread across the earth, cleansing it of all life. The globe will be burnt clean, consumed by celestial fire, and become as a second sun. That does sound a little mad. And release me and help me to stop this maniac. Nah, while there is a certain logical shortfall in the concept of self-annihilation, the prospect of continued human existence in the current political climate is, frankly, sickening. It's a dog-eat-dog world, the only difference between people being how deceitful they are about tearing each other down. And when you look at the animal kingdom, they're literal dogs, that is, they're little better. Give it a few thousand years, they'll always be as bad as, if not worse. Planetary extinction is an inevitable bit of it. Is it is it is an inevitability is an inevitability. <laughs> We'd only be delaying it, and the orphanage did not raise Mars Featherstone to be a time waster and prevaricator. No, sir. Sorry, sir, what? I won't out you. I'm comfortable with the apocalypse. Damn! It is useless to resist. If I could just reach into my pocket. The excessive and devastating power of the Office for the Obtainment, Examination, and Entombment of Out-of-the-Ordinary Objects. Ooh, ooh. 
conveyed by an administrator's identification and warrant could save the entire planet. Too uh, bad you are so firmly tied down. Yes. Too bad for you. <sighs> the ropes! They're no match for the inflation of your immense barrel chest. Great heavens, you're right! If I were to take one deep breath... <clears throat> Three! Blast your manly chest. Not today, Grick! I hereby reclaim this overdue book with the full administrative power of the Office of the Obtainment, Examination, and Entombment of Out-of-the-Ordinary Objects. Ooh! The Helionomicon is an ancient and powerful artifact. It belongs in an unmarked wooden crate deep in the dark recesses of an endless warehouse amongst innumerable identical unmarked wooden crates. Behold the administrative identification and warrant! No! No! <laughs> Cower before my authority! Come, Miss Perch, these ropes are no match for me now. I have the excessive and devastating administrative power of the office for the obtainment, examination, and entombment of out of the ordinary objects. Who are you? <coughs> I have the fierce Emilionomicon and dominion over all the acolytes of the terrible cult of Solintiges. <coughs> no, we're not having that sound effect. <laughs> Join me, Miss Perch, and none shall stand against us. I will rule the, the world. Oh, whoops. Oh. Ah, Miss, Miss Perch, you seem to have accidentally knocked the fearsome Helionomicon from my hands. And now you appear to be accidentally repositioning the dreaded Noonstone, apocalyptic tool of destruction. Thank you, Rufus. Thank you for freeing me from those ropes. Thank you for whisking me away from the monotony of the Bureau's offices. Thank you for loving me. You're welcome. And thank you, Rufus for bringing the excessive and devastating power of an identification and warrant of an administrator of the office for the obtainment, examination, and entombment of out-of-the-ordinary objects to my beloved doom church of Saul Indiges! Noon! Wrong sound effect. Yes, noon, and the noonstone in position. May flames engulf the earth for a hundred thousand years! Welcome, great soul. Ah, blasted fire everywhere! What a mess! <laughs> <laughs> and so we leave our friends as they are consumed in flames. As the second sun is made of earth and all life is at once set aflame and extinguished. And you, dear listeners, must return to your lives, return to the hollow sham of your reality, until the next unseen hour.
We hope you have enjoyed the Unseen Hour, Episode 1, The Terrible Cult of Sol Indiges. It was recorded live at uh, Vault Festival in London's Waterloo by Andy Goddard with sound help from David and Sean of Vault Festival. It was performed by Bryce Stratford, Joey Timmons, and James Carney and featured a monologue written by Deborah Pearson and performed by Lucy Farrant. The musical guest was Cat Flint. Theme music by The Unrecorded. The Unseen Hour is created, written, and produced by James Carney with production help from Andy Goddard and Felix Trench. We look forward to seeing you again here at The Unseen Hour. <laughs> <laughs>